this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. All right, you are on What If We've Been Wrong on America Out Loud, and I'm so glad you could join me today. Uh, I have one of my favorite topics talking about worldview, the impact of worldview. What is it? Why do we need to know what it is? And what kind of impact does it have in our lives, these different worldviews, the colliding worldviews? So I'd like to maybe first start, before I introduce my special guest today, the four big questions that help to decipher the characteristics of of different worldviews. And the one we're going to be focused on today is the biblical or Christian worldview. But they're, they're about... Well, it's debatable. There are five, six different main types of worldviews. But when we're talking about worldviews, we're talking about the thoughts, the ideas, the actions of these different worldviews. Now, some people will say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't have a worldview. Well, that atheist person does have a worldview, and we can prove it by these four different questions. The first one is, how would you answer, you know, where did you come from? Okay, and this centers on creation, or perhaps somebody has the worldview of not believing in creation. Uh, but the question is, where did we come from? Number two, what's wrong with the world? It, this centers on man's part in the world. So crime and um, violence and um, things like that. You know, what's you know, wars and sickness? What's wrong with the world? What is the solution? So this centers on the prescribed plan to make the world a better place. And believe it or not, this <laughs> the, the, a, a big part of this has to do with politics. And then what is my part? You, the American citizen, or wherever you're listening to this, uh, to this uh, uh, interview and discussion today, what's your part? It centers on your role as the individual in perhaps making the world a better place, fixing the world's problems. So where did, where did you come from? What's wrong with the world? What is the solution? And what is your part in making this world a better place to be? So with that, my guest today is Dan Smithwick. He's the president of the Nehemiah Institute, which he founded back in 1986. And in 1988, Dan authored the what's called the Peers Test, P-E-E-R-S test. And we're, we're going to be really delving into this today right out of the box. It's a worldview assessment program designed to reveal an individual's worldview on politics, economics, education, religion, and social issues. Thus, where he got the P-E-E-R-S, Peers Test. So the Pierce Test and Nehemiah's worldview training materials have received critical acclaim and support from high-profile organizations, including 
focus on the family and Christian film and television commission, Answers in Genesis and a list of others. So uh, Dan, welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? Well, thank you, Terry. Thank you for having me on your show today. Well, it's it's you know it's been a while since we did talk. We met out in San Diego a number yes. of years ago, and our mutual friend Nancy Schulz introduced us at a big conference. And and of course, back then, I think I was working on uh, my the the certification that I received from the Chuck Colson Worldview uh, program that they have. So I became a Chuck Colson Fellow along with um, uh, somebody else in in my organization. And so I was probably in the midst of all that studying when we first met. So if you had spoken to me back then about the peers test, uh, I might not have understood what you were talking about. Now, when I see the, the, the trend chart, Dan, I think everybody across America needs to know about the peers test and understand the implications that if we don't change this trend line around, everything we hold dear is at risk. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, for sure, I agree with that, Terry. Um, you know, just to understand the word worldview, you did a great job of giving some definitions and meaning to that. Uh, and again, I would just reemphasize the importance of understanding that we all have a worldview. It's impossible not to have a worldview with an understanding of what the word means, just a, ben, a you know, a general outlook on life and how we think. Uh, the world should run, uh, how we think, what's right and what's wrong. So the problem today, and it's been going on for decades, is that we are gradually walking away from our Judeo-Christian worldview, from our founding fathers and from the Puritans and pilgrims. We're walking away from that in favor of what we call a secular, if not a socialist, worldview. That's the crisis that we're truly facing in our nation. And, and, and we're going to keep defining, you know, a lot of these terms. So in case this is new to you, um, our, our audience today, just hang in there with us as we flush these terms out. You know, I'm going to read a quote from a, a uh, she's a PhD, Dr. Carrie Adams Woodruff. She's the president and founder of the Foundation for American Christian Education. The acronym is FACE, F-A-C-E. Uh, one of her uh, more popular quotes that they use quite a bit at, at, at FACE is, education today determines tomorrow's philosophy and scope of government, quality of culture, influence of the church, strength of the family, and health of our economy. I think that statement, that one sentence is so profound. So, so with that, I'm going to read it one more time. It says, education today determines tomorrow's philosophy and scope of government, quality of culture, influence of the church, strength of the family, and health of our economy. And of course, now here we are in the midst of the coronavirus and our economy is in shambles. Uh, but let, let's go back and keep flushing out this term. So we have a biblical worldview, or some people might call it a Christian worldview. What do you mean, Dan, when you're saying a secular um, or you know humanist worldview? What what do you mean with those terms? Sure, secular is a term uh, coming from a Latin word of seculum, which simply means of the age. So it's an idea that we just construct uh, 
thoughts about the way life should be based on our current uh, time. We don't have any uh, concern for the past. Uh, we don't care what philosophers or theologians thought of in the past. And so we want to construct a worldview that seems appropriate for our time. And that's what we mean by secular. And it, it, by definition, it removes God from the picture. It's just, uh, you know, man's ideas for what's right and what's wrong today. And so we construct a worldview. We construct a philosophy of life. And that's what secular really means. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'd like to add an example of the impact of a secular worldview on our historically Judeo-Christian uh, uh, country. You know, there was a time when parents uh, made um, uh, the decisions of what's in the best interest of, of their own children. It wasn't government. But because of the secular humanist worldview of the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, who was a secular humanist, she, you know, she hated God if there was a God in her world. I think more than anything, she hated God. But anyway, she was still, though, considered a secular humanist. And her worldview was one of um, uh, pr living out you know, promiscuity, but she also believed in controlling the populations of, of certain segments of society. And, and she believed in you know, rampant promiscuity because there were no boundaries. She didn't have a biblical worldview. And today we're faced with her worldview, which is costing you, the taxpayer, you know, millions and millions of dollars, which would be trying to solve sexually transmitted diseases, having to, you know, finance all these, you know, the children born out of wedlock and into poverty and all this. And her whole, her mindset of the Negro project, which was to eradicate the black race. Um, so today, like 20, I think it's 22 million black children have been aborted. This all comes from the impact of the secular humanist worldview of Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, who, by the way, their lobbyists have lobbied successfully so that you lose your parental rights in many states like Virginia by the time that child is 14 years old. The parent does not have permission to, to know what's going on between doctor and patient. If, if that doctor and patient are talking about sex, um, drugs, drug use, sexually transmitted diseases, pregnancy, none of that. I wanted to throw this in because as you, Dan, you and I begin talking more about worldview, I wanted people to understand this has a direct impact on you, your family, and America's future. Because America did not make more advances for mankind in like you know, like two to three hundred years than the, the world had made in 4,000. America did in like 300 years. So, Dan, let's go back. And let's let's so so we've defined the secular humanist. There's no God that they'll that they think they're ever going to have to stand in front of and give account for their life and their decisions. And so, what happens when people who have the secular humanist worldview they get into law? They become lawyers and or politicians. Can you give some fallout of what what happens? You know, again, when we think of the term worldview, our thoughts about the way things should be, it uh, brings up the proverb, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And, of course, that applies to a group of individuals or even to a nation. 
So the whole issue of how we think, what we think, is extremely uh, important. Uh, it's going to shape our entire life, the way we choose to go. And that's what's problematic today. It's going on in our nation where we have now socialist individuals running for president, the highest office in the land, and declaring themselves to be socialist. Socialism is a very uh, well-defined, you know, prominent worldview that's gaining a lot of attention and, uh, and uh, acceptance from the younger people. So, you know, we really have to be aware of what makes up these different worldviews. What are the basic presuppositions, as we call them? And so we focus on four general worldviews in the work that we do, which is largely with youth in, uh, in private Christian schools and homeschooling. You know, we talk about biblical theism. That would be a correct biblical Christian worldview. We then identify what we call moderate Christian, kind of one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Then secularism, you know, the idea that there is no God, it's just up to man to develop, you know, a, um, the best way of life. And then we go with socialism, and we draw a distinction between secularism and socialism in the sense that secularism uh, would be the view of the masses at large or the individual person. Socialism takes it a step further and brings into the equation the state, the government. What is the government's role? over the masses. So those four general worldviews are how our society has functioned and is now changing and functioning differently today. Okay, can you give, well, let's see, I guess I want to get into the test. How did yes. you, do, uh, or let me actually start with why. Why did you create this PEERS test? And again, the PEERS stands for Politics, economics, education, religion, and social issues. Why did you do this, Dan? Way back, you, I mean, you were forming this in the late 80s. Why? Yes, 30 years ago. I was working for Pat Robertson for a couple of years on a project called the Freedom Council, which was an initiative to help Christians through local churches to be more effective at being salt and light. So we were going into churches training individuals about different uh, ways to approach others, uh, primarily around a pro-life, uh, you know, cause, uh, but not just that. But I began to be concerned as I was in different meetings and hearing different people respond uh, where they thought they had a good idea about something, but it began to uh, cause a question in me, were these ideas really rooted in a biblical understanding of the matter? And I thought it would be helpful to have a tool of some type that would help us as Christians know if our thoughts are really coming from Scripture or are they just thoughts that seemed right to us, that maybe were the thoughts of our parents or our grandparents or our favorite authors or movies or who knows what. And that led me to construct this instrument where we can now identify the basic premise of why we believe what we believe. And it took a couple of years to uh, finish this. Uh, we have had the Pierce test go through a, what's called professional and validity reliability study to make sure that it's valid. We work with high schools and, and universities and uh, discovered that universities couldn't use the test unless we could demonstrate that it had been shown to be valid and reliable. So the test today, the Pierce test today is pretty much recognized as a gold standard 
on worldview measurement. And so it takes these five peers categories, as you've identified, and ranks them into one of the four worldview postures. So it's, think of a grid, five by four, so there's 20 different boxes. And we have been now observing the worldview shift in America. That's a phrase that we use a lot. The worldview shift that's been going on for 30 years based on results of this test and primarily of youth, high school and college. And so we're extremely alarmed that when we see over 90% of our youth going away from a biblical worldview in favor of a secular, if not a socialist worldview, this speaks volumes about the future of the church and the future of our republic. And it's our really biggest concern. All right, perfectly said. And I don't want anybody to go anywhere because we're going to be back with Dan in, in just a minute. And we're going to be digging into some of the questions. What would it, you know, what are some of these questions for politics or economics, education, um, that would, that help give clarity to somebody's worldview? I also want to get into the why. Why this uh, severe shift to, I, I would say that the average graduating high schooler today couldn't even explain to you what is socialism and uh, and and with that in mind we will be right back did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping the real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep struggling with racing minds tossing and turning if you're one of the millions of americans who need better quality sleep the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. All right, you're back with Terry Beatley and Dan Smithwick. And what I want to get into right now is the why. Because, Dan, a few minutes ago, you said that for the past 30 years, there's been this downward trend of young people. And these are people who would identify themselves as Christians. Why they, the growing majority, they don't even have a, a Christian, a biblical worldview. Why? Why has this been happening? Sure. Well, there's a very uh, uh, specific answer to this, Terry, so let's uh, talk about that. But first, I need to address a point about the peers construct. Again, it's the five major spheres of life that we deal with, politics, economics, education, religion, and social issues. And I always say when I'm speaking at conferences that those five spheres are universally practiced. Every people group on planet Earth has to do those five things some way. Uh, you have to have a system of governance. You have to have a system of economics, education, all the way across. So it's not that some cultures don't have those. Every culture has those. It's just a question of what are the presuppositions they use 
to decide how they are going to operate in those five spheres. Mm -hmm. And then the second key point here that I like to make, Terry, is that what's happened to Christianity in America, we have simply reduced Christianity to the R category, religion. And we seem to think that if we have a good understanding of religion, the Christian religion, that means we have a proper worldview. And that's just not the case, because we see that many people, while they will answer on the Pierce test to a good degree, uh, write answers about the religion category, the basic tenets of the Christian faith, but then they think like secular or socialist worldviews in politics, meaning government or economics. And that's the uh, problem that we have going on in America. And the reason is that, you know, how many sermons do we hear with a scriptural-based teaching on something like civil government or economics? I can only think of one sermon in 30 years that was distinctly a sermon on economics. So that's just thought of as not that important to us. We let somebody else teach us about those things. Right. And that's a real problem in how it's shaped our country. And how about the government-run education? I mean, that, that's a whole show in and of itself. Yeah, it sheds some light on, on what's absolutely. really been going on there in the government-run school. Yes, right. That's, that's, that's exactly where we need to get to now, Terry, because there's two reasons why this whole worldview problem is with us. And first, I'll identify as the individual being John Dewey. John Dewey, in the middle of the 19th century, was the person who laid out the initiative to develop the public school system, or as we prefer to call it, the state-run school system. And just like you mentioned with Margaret Sanger, John Dewey hated Christianity, even though he came from a Christian home. His mother was a very devout Christian. But when he was in his 20s, he became a professing atheist. And he thought it was a great travesty to send little boys and girls off to some place where they were uh, uh, taught how to pray to somebody who wasn't there and how to read a book that was full of myth, meaning God in the Bible. And so he eventually convinced America that it would be better to have a state-run, state-financed school, school system that would be free, that's a myth, and eventually to de-Christianize the classroom. And that's exactly what's happened in America. And most of us know, you know, beginning in the 60s and 70s, we've seen things like Ten Commandments coming off the wall, uh, Bible not being allowed to be read, uh, no opening school with prayer. So we have a de-Christianized classroom, exactly what John Dewey wanted. Well, the second part of the story, which is even more horrifying, is that there was a Marxist group in Germany connected with something called the Frankfurt School. And in 1930, that was imported to America for particular reasons. They brought the Frankfurt School, set up shop in Columbia University, and began the process of advancing their Marxist ideas through education in America. And who did they hook up with? None other than John Dewey. John Dewey was at Columbia University. He had founded the teacher's college system. So while the Marxists had the ideology, Dewey had the distribution system, and it was the perfect storm. And that is what has led to an education system today that has driven our young people away from a biblical worldview in favor of at least a secular worldview and now a socialist worldview. 
That's the story that very few pastors understand, very few Christian homes understand, and it's why we have all of the sexual nonsense going on in school systems today. It's why we have so many ideas of postmodernism, construct your own truth. This is a story that really does need to be told. And you perfectly told it. And I was just taking a note there. You said, so the Frankfurt School had the ideology, but John Dewey had the distribution channel. It's just, inc- exactly. it is, it's the perfect storm. Huh. Yes, and they took advantage of that. And so for many decades, they have been slowly changing education in America through the help of the Department of Education and uh, through the teachers' unions, changing curriculum so that today, by the time kids are into a junior high school, their worldview is pretty much shaped that God is probably not there, and if he is, you don't need him in school. You know, I can do fine in school without God. Well, and it's and so interesting. this is how we become a secular nation. Right, sorry for stepping on your words there. Uh, but I think it's important to recognize that this wasn't them just removing the Christian worldview. They instilled or installed their worldview. I mean, so we, it's literally a collision of worldviews. And the, what I normally Absolutely. say is the ones who make the laws rule the culture. So when Christians take a backdoor step from politics or, you know, any of these areas that you're talking about, um, it's it's the people who have those worldviews. If they're in control, right then I am thinking just though of politics. They're making laws, you know, that that steal my parental rights when my kid is fourteen years old. That my fourteen year old right. could kick me out of the medical exam room, and I don't get to find out what he or she is telling the doctor and what the doctor's telling my kid. That. That's right. a perfect example of the impact, the collision of worldviews. And that was that secular humanist worldview versus my Christian Judeo worldview is my children are a gift from the Lord and, and it's incumbent upon me. I'm instructed to guide and counsel and nurture my own children. So I say, America, wake up, wake up. This peers test is so revealing. And Dan just summed it up. I mean, where all this came from. Okay, so, um, and I, I know it's not just there, you know, because there are other agendas going on as well. But, but I mean, you summed it up as far as the loss of the school system. You know, Dan, recently I read in that magazine that I think it's called The New American. And I think Alex yes. Newman, you know, he wrote a number of the articles in it. I was just shocked because for about eight years I had homeschooled my own children. But just the idea of this happening, he gave the example of this kid you know, evidently had been brainwashed enough to think that I think he was a girl. He was really female. Mm-hmm. And the public school took him one day. It was like for sterilization or something. Or no, no, removing the body part. And right. and it's like the school system did this. So do you have any more extreme examples so we can help convince our listening audience that folks... This is serious. I mean, have you ever heard, I mean, not just this transgender thing, but any other things that are going on that parents should be aware of? Well, the, the thing that I talk about the most at, at conferences with, uh, with teachers and parents 
is the entitlement mentality that young people are being given, that they are owed things just because they're here. And so this idea, this worldview that shapes their thoughts about the purpose of civil government is there to be their provider. So they have this mindset of being a consumer rather than a producer. And that is very dangerous to a free republic. And we see this as coming out of the shift in worldview that's been happening. So we have several test questions that show their thinking along this line that they have this entitlement mentality. And once you have a young, you have the younger generation convinced of an entitlement mentality, you've pretty much got them in your hand. And that's how election campaigns are run. You know, if you vote for me, I will give you these things and just vote for me. And this is a problem, I will say, in both parties. Certainly, I would argue much more so the Democrats. But this kind of thinking about the purpose of government is very, very problematic. And so we see very low test scores in the realm of politics, meaning civil government. And uh, I find it interesting, too, Terry, that today we're all concerned about getting people back to work. We're concerned about the economy. The economy is covering the news almost everywhere. Guess which of the five peers categories where we find the lowest scores almost always? I was actually going to bring that up. It's like, I bet that's the lowest area, (laughs) economics, because if they can dumb you down there, they've got you. Now, I don't think I printed out all of your sample questions. I printed out four, but I think I might be missing four. Let's actually give some of these examples of the extreme. Um, Sure. I I, I just gave you four. There's 70 questions on the test, and I gave you four that, you know, we see as pretty problematic uh, in testing young people. Uh, And so I'm I'm pointing out two things here, Uh, you know, where they're thinking okay, and then where they're thinking wrongly. So the first question, it happens to be question number seven, is simply a statement. And these statements are answered with the Likert scoring system from strongly agree to strongly disagree. And the statement says, absolute truth exists in all areas of life and can be known. And our young people from Christian homes are answering that about 85% of the time correctly. 15%, 16% are missing that. So think about this. They are being taught properly in the religion category. God is there, truth exists, absolute truth exists, and you can know it. So that should be a foundation. But because we're not teaching properly in these other spheres, then they go by teaching of other people how to think about government and economics. And so uh, let's take an education question, if we can do that. Sure. Question number 23. This is the most frequently missed questions by high school students, even in Christian schools. And it says this, in a democratic society, citizens have a civil right to an education, and this right must be protected and enforced by civil governments. 75% of the students agree with that statement. And we say we should be disagreeing because of two problems here. We don't have a right to education. We have a responsibility to be educated. And second, even if there was somehow a right to be educated, it is certainly not the government's job to provide that right. You don't find that in the Constitution. You don't find that in the Bible. 
But the whole shift towards a humanist socialist idea and truly a Marxist idea is to convince us that it's the government's job to guarantee our right for an education. You see, now we have socialists running that we're going to pay for college because you have the right to college. Right. And so all of our young people are going with that kind of thinking. That's that's what's happening with this shift in worldview. So while they got the religion answer, the religion test answer right, they don't think in the same way. They don't translate that to these other spheres because they're not being taught the Bible in these. And we're not hearing sermons on these areas. And that's a real problem in our country. Right. Now I find this next question, number 35, individuals should be allowed to conduct life as they choose, as long as it does not interfere with the lives of others. And of course, the correct right. answer and, is to disagree. Uh, but yes. what, are you, what are you finding on the results? Yeah, we find nearly 60% of our young people from Christian homes uh, agree with that, that individuals should be allowed to conduct life as they choose, you know, as long as they're not really harming somebody else. Well, that's postmodernism. That's a term, you know, that means we construct our own truth. We construct our own view of what's right and wrong. That's just throwing away uh, the authority of Scripture as uh, the truth that should be guiding our lives. Right. So this is very humanistic thinking, and uh, it's taken taken us away from Scripture. It's amazing when you think about from John Dewey, the 1930s, when the Bible would be read in school and there would be prayer yes. and the kids were being raised up in the ways of the Lord and then to where we are today. All right, so you gave a fourth question example or as a statement. Government should rest as directly as possible on the will of the people. It should So government should rest as directly as possible on the will of the people. Uh, walk yeah. us through that one. Sure. What we're getting at here with this question or this statement is to draw out one's understanding of the type of government that is proper and what we have. And there's a great confusion in our country, and certainly you will know this because of your training with the Chuck Colson Center. We do not have a democracy in America. That's right. That is not the kind of government that our founding fathers gave us. And so when we raise the question, what kind of government should we have? You will certainly know the answer to that. Well, what, what say, I find amazing is that, um, uh, and we can flush this out as well, but before the whole coronavirus thing hit, and that's all you saw on news, you know, we're having the Super Tuesdays and all that, and including Fox News, all yes. these people, all these, um, you know, hosts of these shows, they're all talking about democracy, democracy 2020. And it's like, folks, we don't right. live in a democracy. Who's in control right. of these major networks, which, of course, we know people who, you know, would probably rather see the demise of America. Well, walk us through the difference of the of a democracy sure. versus so a republic. Right answer is to say, right, we don't have a democracy. We have a republic. We have a constitutional republic, meaning that we have a a, a, a body of law uh, drafted, constructed largely by people who embraced a Judeo-Christian worldview and then we elect leaders who are supposed to who will uphold that constitution they take an oath generally before God with their hand on the Bible swearing to defend this 
And those people are ensured that all of the things that we do under the realm of civil government is in agreement with the constitutional framework of our, of our republic. That's a very different idea than having a democracy where 51% then gets to make the choices of how we're going to live. That's what Greece had, you know, years and centuries ago that collapsed. So this is a very big deal. But see, we're not teaching constitution in the schools anymore right. much. Uh, and this whole idea of rule by law, which then has to be in submission to the ultimate rule, the rule of God. You know, God gives us his law. We are to do everything in agreement with that and nothing contrary to that. So now we're supposed to be, if we just think about that dynamic, that God has set up the standard for how we should live, how his people, his creation should live. He's given us the rules. He's given us his law book. We're supposed to choose uh, leaders, as Jethro instructed Moses, choose among yourselves wise, God-fearing people who will lead us in doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. That's not the way we're thinking today about our election processes. Uh, and so now we're having all these laws passed, like this 14-year-old age thing that you were talking about, completely contrary to uh, God's mandates for how we should live. Well, this is the worldview shift that's going on. Well, and it hurts. It hurts emotionally. I mean, you let a kid, you know, you, you take a 14-year-old, put her on birth control pills, and by the time she's 16, she has two sexually transmitted diseases, She's already had an abortion behind her mom and dad's back, and she's messed up psychologically. I mean, we, we could walk through the fallout of this, and it ends up, you know, if, if one of our listeners is only interested in economics, well, it costs us billions and billions of dollars, uh, you know, for bailing out what a, a true, you know, biblical Christian worldview if, if we had just adhered to it, you know, just wait, I mean, even boil yes, it all the way down, exactly wait till right. sex until marriage. Well, then you've just ruled out sexually transmitted diseases, you know, unwed parenthood. Um, it's just the list. And that's just one realm. I mean, think what are some of the other fallouts just so we can help our listeners connect the dots? Where else is fallout? Sure. In, in, in the in a realm of economics, you know, we draw a distinction between what we label as a planned economy versus a free market economy. That's a huge difference in thinking about how things, you know, should work, should, how people are, should be allowed to, uh, to govern their lives and do what they believe is their gifting and calling. Uh, in education, you know, the problem of state run, uh, secular school system versus parents rights to educate their children, uh, in the environment that they believe is right. Education in America for 300 years, was family-run, supported by the church, and often uh, times taught by church people or uh, you know trained people with uh, a Christian worldview perspective. Uh, and the social issues, you know, all of that is, of course, we see the breakdown of the family. I mean, that's an enormous problem. The uh, single-parent families uh, and the whole sexual nonsense that's going on in schools. I mean, think of the the travesty, the absolute absolute. Uh, uh, crime to be telling uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders that they can be a, a boy today and a girl tomorrow and switch back and forth. 
this is this is crime. This is really serious, serious things that are happening. And most parents want to think that the public school system that they went to is still there. That is absolutely untrue. Absolutely. Because these Marxists have so captured the education system, they won't show you the books. Students are not allowed to bring these books home. And it would horrify the parents and grandparents more so if they saw that. Absolutely. Uh, so then they, could, they wonder why the kids rebel, you know. Well, they do rebel. And right then I was thinking of one homeschool girl. She was homeschooled through, I think it was the eighth grade. And then her mom allowed her to go to the public government run, you know, state run school. And she became very, very depressed. It is too gross for me to, it's too degrading for me yes. to even share on this show. But it was what they were teaching her in the health class was driving this young woman who had grown up, you know, with a, you know, immersed in the word of God. She knew it was wrong what they were teaching in great detail. And, but, but she's stuck in the system. And so finally she shared it with her mother and her mother pulled her out of the government run school. And with that idea, we're coming right back and we're going to talk about some solutions and what you can do with your own family to try to figure out where you and your high schoolers are at right now with your worldview. We'll be right back. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, Dan, we have spent so much time talking about the peers test and, and what you do at the Nehemiah Institute. But first, let's drive people to your website and tell us all your social media handles and all that. Where can we find you? Sure. So the website is Nehemiah Institute. Dot com, just all together, NehemiahInstitute.com. And on the home page of that, there will be a chart uh, called the Peers Trend Chart. And that shows the shift of, a, of, of worldviews of young people over the past 30 years. That's very gripping. There's a place where they can print that. And then there's another a tab where they can print out. Uh, it says something like Peers Chart Instructions to help you to understand, you know, it describes what the chart is showing. Um, also on the website, there's a lot of information about the makeup of the peers test and how people can take that. And so here's what I like to say about the peers test. You know, when we're not well, we're not feeling well, if, if we get really uncomfortable, we go to the doctor. And the doctor, you know, will say, okay, well, we'll run some tests and see what's going on. And he comes back and says, here's what I see and here's what I prescribe. That's, that's a common thing for us to do. Well, the Pierce test is kind of like that. It's, it's a worldview picture, x-ray, if you would, of what's going on inside our mind. So we, we take the Pierce test, people take it, we give them the results back, and it's our way of saying, here's what we see. Here's, here's where your thoughts are coming from that are not based on biblical 
uh, understanding. So I like to just say the Pierce test is a spiritual x-ray. Uh, but then comes the remedial. You know, what do we do about this? If, uh, the Pierce test is different than any other test in, in this particular sense. The range of results are from minus 100 to plus 100, not zero to 100. And that was intentional because zero would imply you don't have a worldview. Well, that's, that's as we've already said, it's not possible. So it's a range from a hardcore socialist to a true biblical theistic worldview. And when you see which questions that we would say you've answered on the opposite side, then we have materials to show you why you should have thought the other way from biblical reasoning. We have a course that's called Pillars that's a, that can be obtained from the website, as well as taking the test online. Pillars is designed to follow the Pierce test, so it's a really good uh, primer on worldview for each of the five peers categories. And one other resource, the newest one, which I'll just ask for people to look for on our website, is a book called Political Correctness. This book tells the story of how these Marxist scholars came to America, hooked up with John Dewey, and captured or hijacked education in America nearly a hundred years ago. That is a must read especially for pastors, because Terry, here's the bottom line of what I say about all of this. If worldview does not become a pulpit issue in America, our republic is gone. I feel that strongly about this. And I totally agree. I totally agree. I, it's, I second that. Here, uh, Go back to that book. Did you write that book, Dan? Is that authored by you? No, I did not. Uh, the book is actually a collection of essays okay. of various scholars who began studying this whole Marxist problem that has been sweeping America, especially in the higher uh, education, you know, university levels, where we have Marxist professors up and down the highways. And so there was an enormous amount of really fine research done by different people to understand how this happened, when did it happen, why and particularly a guy named William Lind, uh, who wrote most of the essays. I think there's a total of 15, uh, and then some other authors. And we just simply pulled it all together with their permissions and have created this book uh, that tells the story of the Frankfurt School. Wow. And uh, by the way, uh, really important about that, Terry, is that they knew they could not promote their ideology by rolling out textbooks labeled Marxism. You know, that wasn't going to fly a hundred years ago. So they renamed uh, their Marxist persuasion, which they were calling cultural Marxism, as opposed to classic Marxism, economic Marxism. And that phrase, cultural Marxism, was rebirthed, relabeled as political correctness. So that phrase, that term, political correctness, that we've all been told that we have to uh, buy into is nothing more than a rebranding of cultural Marxism. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that. I have never heard mm -hmm. that. I can't wait to read the book. So so when, when yeah. um, people take this test, they get the results back in, what, two to three days, right? Yes. Okay, how much does it cost to take the test? Uh, the retail cost is twenty four ninety five, uh, and for any kind of group number, we discount that usually between thirty and forty percent. So it, 
It'd be really, it's really interesting for a family, you know, parents and their high school kids to take this together and get their results back and see how their own thoughts differ within their own family. Right. Oh, it'd be fascinating. Uh, I'm hoping my entire yeah. family will do it. And my kids are now grown. They're in their early 20s. And uh, yeah, sure. that would be Or think of a small, a small group in a church. Right. You know, that's a really interesting dynamic. Okay. Uh, because small group members, say you got a small group in your church of 10, 15 people. They come from different backgrounds, different education settings. They have different theological persuasions. Right. And all of a sudden, they've got this test, and they're thinking differently. That They, they didn't even know that they thought differently about these things. Wow. That really becomes a really educational. Right. Oh, gosh. I, yeah, you're really on to something here. So how many people have, I don't know, taken the test since 1988, or how, much, how many people take it per year? Yeah, about 125,000 individuals have taken the test. Now, most of that is our Christian school market. Mm -hmm. uh, we even we even get tests from kids in public schools. And the way we do that is by testing youth groups in evangelical churches where most of the kids go to public school and sometimes all of them go to public school. So there we get a look at uh, their worldview. What are they getting out of the public school? And of course, you know, it's deep into socialism right. and well on the way to right. socialist ideas. Well, didn't you uh, find out something important, though, at the college level, like over a four year period of time with the Beers test? What did what did you discover? Yeah, you know, we've worked with about 30 colleges, Christian universities, from the very largest to small, you know, two or three hundred students. And even there, we are seeing that when they test as freshmen, it's pretty much what we see, you know, seniors from high school. That makes sense. You know, over summer, their thoughts haven't changed that much. What's troubling is their worldview lessons as they continue through even their Christian college classes. Ugh. That's because of how much Marxist influence there, there is today in education. Even and at so Christian really universities. Good. That my point, even yes. at Christian University. Yeah, it's incredible. Wow. I won't mention the school, Terry, but we did a large testing with a Christian university years ago, uh, 600 students. Mm -hmm. And it was a class at all grade levels. All students had to take somewhere in their four years. So the class consisted of freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. Freshmen scored right about where high school students scored. At that time, it was about 30, which is, you know, bottom end of moderate Christian. Every grade after that scored lower. The seniors scored the lowest. Shocking. It really is. It's just, yeah. So I encourage everybody to go on to the Nehemiah Institute and take the test. I mean, we're talking about $24.95, and you may be able to get a discount if you, you know, you're, you and your family yeah. do it. Why did you, you know, name it Nehemiah Institute? Why oh, Nehemiah? Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, I did not grow up in a uh, in an evangelical Christian home. I became a believer at age 33, and developed an enormous appetite for reading Scripture. And I did. I'm kind of studious by nature, and I started where you start with all textbooks. You started book one, chapter one, and uh, and as I was reading through the Old Testament a lot and came to the book of Nehemiah, and it stopped me in my tracks because I felt like the book of Nehemiah was a picture of America, a people of God that once had the favor of God, were in a land dedicated to God, and then walked away from it and lost their land. Mm. And so when I founded this work, I said it needs to be named Nehemiah because America needs 
some Nehemiahs today to rebuild. All right. Well, I'm going to call out right now to every Nehemiah, the, the men, the fathers, husbands, sit down with your family and do this and learn. Absolutely. And so uh, be, before we run out of time here, let's go back to the solution. So if somebody takes the test and the, and the areas where they're, you know, reflecting a socialist mentality or a secular um, thought process, right there you'll give recommendations or links or names of books? Well, or... we have, yes, we have two things ourselves. We have what we call position papers. We have written very high-quality position papers on the test questions that are most frequently missed. So I think right now there's around uh, 25, 28 of the peers' test questions that have a position paper. So that position paper is a mini Bible study on a single test question. Wow. To show scripturally why you should have agreed or disagreed. Okay. That saves an enormous amount of work on the part of the individual to find right answers and how to think about this. Then the pillars course is our primer on worldview. And, uh, you know, I've taught this, Terry, in Sunday school classes in churches for 15 years. The most frequent question I get in going through the pillars course, somewhere in the fourth, fifth, sixth chapter, somebody will say, why are we not hearing this from the pulpit? And they're not. Right. That's a problem. Right. So well, part of the solution is to get mm -hmm. this, you know, into our churches. Let me ask you this. Have you ever taught a, a small group of pastors pillars and walked them through worldview education? No. I mean, I've certainly, you know, worked with pastors, but not a group of pastors okay. because— uh, most pastors, and the reason we get with pastors is because their church has a school. That's what gets, you know, uh, the pastor in, in the discussion. And typically the pastor will say, well, if I, I guess if I'm going to have my school take this test, I better take it myself. Ah, interesting. And, uh, so okay. our, average, our average scores for pastors after years of doing this is right about the 70 benchmark. And 70s are our minimum for saying having a biblical worldview. Now, we'd like to have it higher, but... But at least they're in the in the right, you know, upper range of 70. And then our kids are down in the teens. So think of that. We have pastors every Sunday giving some message, and they generally, by the peers test, add a biblical worldview, but their kids are leaving there with a secular worldview. All pastors know the problem of kids when they leave home at 18, leave church, what do they leave behind? Church. Right. No church, no Bible reading, no prayer. Why? Because they were not given a biblical foundation. They did not take ownership of the worldview, the Christian worldview. And so they walk away from it. Every pastor knows that. Mm. Wow. Okay. So, and I, I remember, you know, with George Barna, you know, where he does the, yes. the, the polling. And I, I think it was yes. somewhere in the neighborhood of 97.5% of American pastors do not preach on the tough social moral issues of today and that's 97 percent they're scared to or they're right. ill-equipped or the you know the whatever the top five reasons are why they keep avoiding these yeah, tough that's, tough issues that's the problem. you know again that's because christianity has been stuck in what we call the r category that's where the sermons are. They're not talking about a biblical view of these other areas because pastors weren't trained that way. But they you were know, the one... back in the colonial era, you know. That, oh, yes, yes, absolutely. In the colonial era, pastors were highly schooled on all of these things. 
And, and that's really what we're trying to recover in education. And that's uh, when you mentioned Carrie Adams and Carol Adams, their organization FACE, that's exactly what they have done, is recover the education system that, that so well educated our founding fathers. And uh, we actually gave the Pierce test to the founding fathers. Did you know that, Terry? Right. We did that by taking the Pierce test and answering the questions according to how we find that the founding fathers wrote papers and sermons about these things. And so our founding fathers come out with like a 78 to an 80 result on the Pierce test. Isn't that nice to know? Right. Yeah. I'm sure they, they would. All right, America. Yes. America out loud on uh, what if we've been wrong. I say we have been wrong uh, with the way we have been uh, teaching or lack thereof of a biblical worldview in the areas of politics, economics, education, religion, and social issues. Pastors of America, I implore you to go on to Nehemiah Institute and, and take the 70-question test. And families across America, uh, we need what Dan Smithwick is doing at the Nehemiah Institute. If we, as the body of Christ, can't get this right, guess what? We lose the American Republic. All right, make sure you have the app on your on your phone. It's 24-7, uh, so m make sure you get the uh, talk radio app. My show is on Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., so you know where to be. And thanks for tuning in today, and God bless.